What's up, Story Geeks? Thanks for joining us today on the Story Geeks podcast. I'm Jay Shear, author of the time travel novel Time Slingers. And we actually just released our second novel, Death of a Bounty Hunter, which you can get for 99 cents. We actually released an early copy um, just for people in quarantine. So if you're stuck at home and you would like to read a supernatural steampunk western, you should check it out. It's kind of it's a, it's a fun story. Um, today, we though, we are digging into Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and joining me on the podcast today is Nick Duke. What's up, danger? What's up? <laughs> <laughs> That's Nick's new uh, catchphrase. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Danger. He All my catchphrases come from uh, movie soundtracks. <laughs> oh, jeez. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> also, Priscilla Hernandez, how are you, Scylla? I'm good. Wherever I go, the wind follows, and the wind smells like rain. <laughs> that's the best i like that one a lot what song is that <laughs> yeah and, and then today we also have alan ing a film critic from film threat alan how are you doing hey i'm doing good and you, despite the fact that uh Scylla and nuke uh, uh, nick nuke, nuke <laughs> today nuke. you're nuke it's yeah, the best. my short my short name yeah nuke nuke um, duke yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh so besides besides the fact that uh, Nick and Scylla have actually are co-hosts of this show, I have actually known Alan Ng for the longest of anybody on this podcast. <laughs> so it's it's good to have Alan on the show again. Alan, what were you on the show with us last time? It was it. Oh, uh, it was Dark Phoenix. Oh, Dark Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. That was a good one. That was your best episode. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, it was the best episode. That's what everyone told us too. They're like, that's the best episode ever. Um, well, everybody, thanks for listening in. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society, and we are about to dig really deep into Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. If you have any thoughts, be sure to join the Story Geeks Facebook group. Just search Facebook for the Story Geeks and join the group. If you have any thoughts, you can share them in there. Um, and with that, let's dig into it. Um, Scylla, I'm going to come to you first with this question. Spider-Man has appeared in 10 live-action feature films since 2002. Ten films in 18 years. And then they make Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So, Scylla, did we need this film? Do we need another Spider-Man film? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in the end of the day, do you need anything? We don't know. But in terms of this film, it brings a, a fresh new perspective um, on this on the same story over and over. It's kind of like Batman, right? We've had so many Batman origin stories that it's just, it feels redundant, but this movie does not feel redundant. Um, it gives you a fresh take, fresh characters. It changes up that typical Peter Parker origin story to something different. Mm. And I, I think by rewatching it again, I have to say it's my favorite Spider-Man film. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. That's pretty strong, but just everything about it is amazing. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> it's strong. It, it's very strong, and it's actually in the midst of other strong films, which is pretty mm -hmm. insane. So, mm -hmm. Nick, what do you think? Do we need this film? Yeah, I mean, that ten years of live action films, or ten live ten live action films since two thousand two. Let's not even counting like the TV shows and like just all the several little offshoots that spider-man mm. did um but like yeah my exact thought when i heard this movie was coming was why <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like we had a spider-man movie the year before and we knew like based on the success of that one there's going to be another one coming and like that thought probably would have only persisted if spider-man if spider-verse wasn't the best 
Spider-Man film ever, really. Mm. And oh. it had to it had to be. And I think Sony mm. knew it. Mm. I think Sony knew that it was like this is something special. Um and because like there's always room for more if it's quality. Mm. And yeah, I don't I don't think anybody that went and saw this movie was like, ah oh, man, another Spider-Man movie. Because you walk out of this like just as jazzed as you would have been to seeing the first Spider-Man movie, mm. you know, it's yeah. just so it's that good. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Alan? Are you on the same page? Or you, yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I see a lot of movies and I've come to the stark realization that there's no new story under the sun. Mm. And, you know, to me, it's like we're, we're all we all want good storytelling. And you can tell that same story over and over again. Just tell it in a new and refreshing way. And I think Spider-Man definitely does that. And also, um, you know, with Miles Morales specifically, you know, there's just no way that Marvel was going to, or even Sony was going to put out a live-action Miles Morales, uh, Mm. commercially viable live-action movie. Mm. And I think this is, um, I mean, I I absolutely love the way they dealt with that character. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think it's different enough from the original Spider-Man to to be on its own, really. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with anybody here. In fact, I'm going to double down on some of this stuff. So this is in my top five comic book movies of all time. Mm-hmm. I think that it is in my top three animated films of all time. Maybe number Ooh. one. It's in my top three animated films for wow. sure. And I will tell you that I think Spider-Verse is better than every MCU movie except for <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, oh, really? Oh, I love, oh. I love this wow. movie I wasn't so expecting much. Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, oh yeah. That's, <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy is by far my favorite MCU movie. but um, And I don't know that this can overtake Guardians of the Galaxy per se. Uh, I'd have to watch them both like back-to-back, and I don't even know how you try to compare the two. But I think Spider-Verse is just amazing. And, Alan, to pick up on what you were talking about, like the MCU needs to pay attention to how they handled legacy characters here because mm-hmm. the legacy characters here are amazing. Um, and we're going to jump into what that means and how that works, but this is just a wonderful film. It, so do yeah. we need it? No, I mean, no, we don't like you said, Silo. do we need any film? I mean, like, come on, <laughs> but, uh, do we need another Spider-Man film? I didn't think so until I saw it. And then I went, Oh yeah. wow, this is mind blowing. So mm-hmm. just fantastic. Well, <laughs> Well, Jay, you clearly love it a lot more than, than most of us do. I mean, yeah, and I, I think it's just a matter of taste. I mean, I loved Into Spider Verse. I just don't know that I'm going to put it above Endgame or Infinity War or, oh, or a couple yeah. of the other ones. Yeah, uh, you know, um, yeah. I mean, it's definitely up there, uh, but you know. Again, it's a matter of taste at this point. Oh, yeah. It totally is a matter of taste. I, yeah. I love the visual design of, of Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. yeah. Um, that That's something that just came out of nowhere. The, just the animation. Yeah. And, uh, and and that right there bumped it up in terms of quality. Absolutely. No yeah. question. It, like, it, it's I, innovative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, Spider-Verse really captures sort of what it feels like to be like really immersed in a comic story yes like if you, like, yes. it makes you really feel like mm. you're you're in it whereas mm. um i feel like the mcu does a really good job at making you feel like like this is what it's like to to read a really good uh, arc mm-hmm. yeah of a comic mm-hmm. series um like coming out of m game i was like man that really felt like a 
you know an epic splash pagey mm. uh like big crossover Super arc. event yeah and yeah. like spider-verse is just like oh when like those moments where i'm just reading like a single issue or whatever and like it just really pulls me in like it it you feel like you're in the book <laughs> yeah totally and, yeah it does a really good job at that yeah and you know and, and from an animation standpoint um i don't know who thought of it but the the idea of taking the style of 24 frames a second and mm-hmm. up it to 36 frames a second and then mix it with other mediums uh it's just you know just visually this is this is quite an achievement yeah yeah there's like double exposure like offset like instead of things being out of focus it it's like when a comic book has a like a, a print alignment yeah shifting Sp- of like the, shift of the screens yeah. yeah it's just like shifted over slightly yeah. that's just so creative and so, <laughs> so awesome cool. So I'll tell you I'll tell you why this film for me is better than most of the MCU films. <laughs> and cuz you guys have said it like you guys, you know, you're into you're not sure if it would beat Endgame, which are phenomenal films. There's not ta- I'm not taking away anything from those films. But I consistently believe that the MCU tends to play it safe with what they're doing. Now, I they have every reason to do so. It's not the end of the world that they're playing it safe. It's totally fine. I'm not I'm not against it. Um, but with Guardians of the Galaxy and especially with Spider-Verse, they're not playing it safe at all. They're oh, like, no. we're going to change up a billion different things and see what happens. And yeah. I, I, as a person who loves storytelling and loves to see, you know, Alan said it, there's not a lot of different stories out there. But the fact that they can take something and make it new for me is just phenomenal to me. Yeah. So um, I was super excited about it. Um into the Spider-Verse is the first feature film in wide release that isn't focused on Peter Parker, the first Spider-Man film. So despite all the spider people in this film, this is Miles Morales' film, like like Alan alluded to. So I'll start with you, Alan. Does does Miles Morales as Spider-Man, as portrayed in this film, does does he work for you? Why or why not? Well, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I don't know about um, the rest of you, but, you know, I, I read the Miles Morales story when it first came out. Um, yeah. You know, this was at the, this is part of the Ultimate Comics universe. Uh, it, it occurred. Bendis. Um, yeah, just before, Bendis you know, Michael, Brian Michael Bendis and Stereo Pacelli. Uh, it, um, it occurred just a few, the timeline-wise, it occurred a few weeks before the death of Peter Parker in that, in that universe. Mm. And, um, and what I loved about the Ultimate universe, it was just a way to take um, the legacy characters and change it up and tell it in a refreshing way and and this way this was um, you know this is uh, you know Miles' new story and um, what I like about it and what is difficult to produce on film is the fact that you know he's a kid I, I think in the comics he's a junior high student uh, if not a, a high school freshman mm. um, and so you know. You know, so I'm coming at it from someone who read the comic, was a fan of the comic, and now seeing uh, just an amazing adaptation of that comic on screen. And and I think this is probably the best adaptation of of an actual comic book that I've seen come out of Marvel. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I feel like Miles brings a a new perspective to like the persona of Spider-Man. Mm. Um, I mean, it it's in keeping with the theme of the film. It's like anyone can wear the mask. Um, but like for me, if you can take a classic character, whether it's a comic book character or a character from 
you know, literature or anything and put a, a spin on it, um, that makes sense. Like that's, that's really exciting. And that's mm. like with Spider-Man, that's, that's comics, you know, mm. they're always trying to be like, uh, now there's, um, Jane Foster Thor, uh, you know, there's this this person is uh, uh, taken over by the symbiote and they're Venom now. And, you know, and if you can if you can do that in a way where it's like, oh, this is as compelling, if not more compelling than the original. That's really exciting. And that's what like keeps people coming back. It's what keeps me coming back is, you know, when I I go like, yeah, I know Peter Parker, I know the all the spider abilities and all the villains and stuff like that. But um, if you go like, okay, well, what if it, you know, happened to somebody else? Hmm. Like sometimes like their journey, well, not sometimes, every time that person's journey is going to be drastically different than the original. It could be in some ways even more challenging, which I think was a really cool thing about this is like miles journey i would say is more challenging than peter parker's journey um just because like miles had no idea who he is mm. pretty much like he's very unsure of himself whereas peter is just like kind of i mean he has struggles of his own but he's just kind of like going oh i have these new abilities what do i do with them and mm. then becomes a superhero <laughs> you know <laughs> But uh, no, I, I just yeah, I love that it's it, it's a whole fresh uh, new perspective on like taking on the mantle of something like a, a legacy that's mm. come before, right? And not going like I'm that person, I'm me, right? But I'm like taking on you know this this mantle, this symbol, mm. and carrying on uh, like their legacy. Absolutely, Silla, what do you think? Um, pretty much connect with everybody else. It brings a fresh new perspective. I even wrote on here, works 100% yes, <laughs> that it works. <laughs> yeah. um, but at the same time, kind of connecting to that every every man type of feel that Spider-Man brings that I feel like for most people, they connect to Spider-Man a lot for various reasons. And I think Miles, at least for me as someone that's Latina, um, connects to him be you know mixed ethnicity you know trying to find himself trying to figure out who he is in the world and I think that's something we all can connect to especially um, individuals of the modern generation that are just trying to find somebody that's like oh no I could relate to this this guy and mm. I think it does a fantastic job to make you connect with him and connect with his struggles and finding who he is mm. Yeah, absolutely. Now he's probably the most average of the mm -hmm. uh, of the Marvel universe in terms of, you know, this is this is me. This could easily have been me or my kid, mm -hmm. or right. or even mm -hmm. a kid you pass the street every day. Right. So now, Alan, you mentioned reading the the comics. Nick and Scylla, have you both read all the comics with Miles? As well? Not all of them, but yeah, the, I haven't the read all of them. them but I, yeah, I haven't I read all of them, but I've read like at least the origin stuff. Okay. Mm -hmm. A little bit of it, yeah. Because I, I Spider Man as well. Oh, that was great. Yeah. That was a fantastic. Which part. is pretty much what this one's all based off. Yeah. Right. <laughs> now, see, I haven't read any of that. So, this is my first exposure to Miles Morales. And, like, so literally, as you're watching the film, 
the first exposure that someone who does not know Miles Morales has of Miles Morales is him singing along and getting the words of a song totally wrong. Like, that's the first <laughs> exposure we have to him, right? Um, he doesn't hate his family, but he certainly struggles with them in regards to all of the change that's going on in his life. He's very awkward. He's trying to figure out what's right for him. He's trying to adjust to his new school. He's trying to figure out what kind of cliques he can be in, but he's not sure that he fits. Um, and his dad's making it way worse by telling him to say that he mm-hmm. loves you in front of everybody. Um, <laughs> and, and I think you hit the nail on the head, Zilla, that that all adds up to Miles Morales is super relatable. Like he is the embodiment and Alan, you said it too. He is the embodiment of what our growing up was like. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter how cool you were, how cool you weren't like this is the internal feeling of what it feels like to be a teenager. Um, and I realize that there's a lot of different experiences that go into that. So I'm not, but, I, but what I love about it is that he seems relatable to just about everyone, everybody, despite all of the differences we have in growing up in America. Um, and I'm sure over the, across the world too. Um, and I think that he's the perfect character because I think the, the, the power of Spider-Man and it came from Peter Parker before was that Peter Parker was relatable. I mean, who didn't grow up thinking like, oh yeah, I'm kind of like, if I look at all the superheroes, who am I most kind of like? I'm most kind Mm -hmm. of like Peter Parker, really, when it comes down to it. Right. Um, and I think that Miles Morales, basically you change some of the demographic characteristics of the character, but that's what it, that character is all about, you know? So it just works really, really, really well. Um, and you think you instantly fall in love with this kid because you're like, yeah, I would hang out with Miles Morales any day of the week. This kid is cool. Um, <laughs> the other character, though, in this story that has a lot of impact on the storyline itself is Peter B. Parker. And before we ever meet Peter B. Parker, we actually encounter Peter A. Parker. So the two things I want to focus on here... Um, and, and so this is kind of like two questions wrapped up in one, but Peter A. Parker says, no matter how many hits I take, I always find a way to come back. And then yet in the end, uh, shortly after he tells us that as an audience, he can't get back up. He's, he's literally uh, dying and, and then goes on to die. Uh, at, at which point we're introduced to Peter B. Parker, who's older, a lot more haggard and choosing uh, basically not to get back up. Um, So talk to me about the impact. I'll come back to you on this one, Scylla. Talk to me about the impact of Peter A and Peter B in this film and why they're important to what what takes place in this story. Well, for Peter A, it brings about an idealized version of Spider-Man I think that we all grew up with, where it's like, you know, he's this perfect guy. He's always going to get back up. He's always going to, you know, he's always going to help everybody. And then the first major twist in the film, you're like, oh, wait, he's dead. Like, mm. wait, what's going on? What's going on? Um, while Peter B. demonstrates somebody that probably going through a major depression <laughs> where <laughs> where he's just, he seems pretty much done. Like, you know, he's Spider-Man, but at the same time, he's going through his own struggles and by working with, you know, Miles, it's not just him helping Miles, it's Miles helping him understand mm. himself and get get himself back to maybe some of what he once was. Mm. And, and again, it's just another layer to this, this story that is just so impressive. 
that I think that's they bring like these different versions, but it helps overall Peter in the end. Well, Peter B. Mm. So. Yeah, absolutely. Alan, what do you think? Yeah, I kind of took it a, a different way in the sense of, you know, when when he says we can always get back up, it, maybe it didn't really apply to him as a character or him as Spider-Man, but more of getting back up in, in the sense of the big picture, you mm-hmm. know, that uh, that uh, all is not lost. And even though a Peter A. Parker is going to die, there is someone there who's going to take his place mm. and run across the finish line. You know, it's like the idea of war. You know, a lot of people died at D-Day, but it was that battle that had to take place in order to go in and, and ultimately defeat the Germans. Mm. Um, you know, so I kind of look at it as that way. And... And what I liked about the Ultimate Comics was the fact that they kind of took it that way, too, is that, you know, killing Peter Parker off in the comic, you know, was a way to usher in um, a new chapter, a, a new a new character um, to have a bigger impact on the on the overall universe that you couldn't do in the regular Marvel universe. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it's good stuff. I would love to read that comic, actually. I have I have Marvel Unlimited too, so I'm sure there's a oh, way there. to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's there. It's fantastic. All there. Okay, then I'm gonna dig into that for sure. Nick, what do you got? What do you got on this question? Yeah, uh, like Peter, Silla was saying, Peter A. Parker is kind of he's the perfect Spider-Man. He, you know, he always gets back up because he is the Spider-Man. Even in his intro, he's like, "I'm the only Spider-Man." Like he says it like multiple times like i'm the spider-man i'm the only one there's no one like me um not in not in a a jerky way but um you know he's talking about how much he he loves being spider-man despite all the challenges and um he always gets back up because he always finds a way through Mm. um like he even says like the the only mistake in his intro was uh, when he's dancing in the street. He's like, yeah, that, <laughs> there was that, but we don't talk about that. But that's like the only negative side. <laughs> that was a Christmas that album. was a brilliant. Uh, yeah, that Christmas one is so funny too. Um, the that dancing scene was a brilliant callback to who Spider-Man we're supposed 3. to. Yeah, just who yeah. we're supposed to like look, see him as is, yeah. was fantastic. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, he's the he's the Spider Man that Miles wants to be and thinks that he should be. Mm. Um, and Peter B is the antithesis of that. He's extremely flawed, mm-hmm. uh, like n- neglectful husband, bad, bad with money, just undisciplined. And Miles even uh, calls him. He says, "Like, why do I get stuck with janky old broke hobo Spider-Man?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, he also talked about wanting kids, or Mary Jane wanting kids, and he was, and that scared yeah. the hell out of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the thing about Peter B is he's still a hero. He's still mm. Spider-Man. Like yeah. he's still a hero for the people. Mm. You know, he'll still put his life on the line for others. It's just uh like his his personal life that's a little messed up. <laughs> but mm-hmm. like again, like you're seeing uh throughout the movie all these different people uh, they're they're all very different from each other. Uh, but they can all put on that mask and they can all be that hero that they need to be and uh yeah i just i i think um a lot of the movie is miles going like i can't be that spider-man but like peter b he looks at peter b and goes well i can learn from him Mm -hmm. but uh, you know he he doesn't seem like he's like 
as good a spider-man as the one that i know Mm. but and then like in the in the end he realizes like oh like you don't have to be that perfect spider-man like that was that spider-man but i think from i was gonna say i I think i think from a dramatic standpoint it's harder to follow the perfect character than it is to follow the imperfect character yeah and by quickly killing off the the hero spider-man and bringing in old janky hobo spider-man you know you're you're able to relate to both of them much deeper than you could have with peter a parker yeah 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 i like to that he uh calls him old but isn't he like 32 or something like that <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah make the rest of us feel really old thanks a lot um yeah, I, I think you guys are right on. I, I to 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 dig even a little bit deeper into the Peter A. Parker comments. I think that you know they do something really important that I think a lot of films. And when when I say something like you know the MCU plays it safe, this is something that the MCU I think up until Infinity War, but even with Infinity War, we knew a lot of those characters were coming back. They they didn't really kill off many characters. It wasn't there were not stakes there. And mm-hmm. to show somebody who's a superhero who's saying, don't worry about it, kid. I'm going to get back up. But, there, you know, there are things that we can't get back up from. There, there are things that, that we literally will not be able to climb back to our feet to address. Mm-hmm. And, in, and in this movie, to be able to set the stakes there and to be able to say, it doesn't really matter how hopeful you are, how cocky you are, how altruistic you are those things don't ultimately matter because you're going to die. And we don't see that a lot from comic book characters. A lot of comic book characters like get retconned anyways, and their deaths get retconned in some way, shape or form. So to lead that off, to lead this movie off with those stakes is really important to the journeys of the subsequent characters who come along. Um, And having to contemplate the fact that we can watch a superhero die on screen is then because a lot of these things are escapist, right? Like this is how I use geek things growing up is that it was escapist. Like I I would like to, I know my mom has cancer, but I'd like to go watch Indiana Jones again because it makes me feel good. Um, And Mm. and I do think that that's good. I'm I'm not an anti-escapist by any means. However, stories being the thing that can can guide our thinking about how the world works better than anything else they must address these things at some point in some place. And to, to basically start your movie off by the, the guy we're familiar with, the guy that we all laugh at because we knew he had a Christmas album and because he was dancing <laughs> on the street, and then to say, yeah, that guy's going to die. The guy that mm-hmm. you are really actually um, drawn to and attached to, that guy's going to die because we all have that impending thing going to happen to us. Um, is really fascinating from a storytelling standpoint. And as it relates to Peter, Peter B. Parker, I think the the message of you can get back up again, we know that, um, I think they said that Peter A. Parker was 26, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know that in my 20s, I felt a lot like that. <laughs> I felt a lot like, yeah, you just keep getting back up, man. Why, why, did, that, why did that guy uh, stop trying so hard? Probably because he's lazy, right? Um, then I got to be 30. And all of that, a lot of that came crashing to a halt. You know, I talked about my mom having cancer. Well, she went into remission for 17 years, but she passed away when I was in my uh, early 30s. And after that, my wife had a chronic health condition. After that, I went through a lot of job changes. And all of a sudden, 
you find yourself feeling a lot more like Peter B. Parker. And it's not an excuse. I don't think we, you know, we should hopefully have the attitude of Peter A. Parker and keep fighting. But sometimes, despite that, you will still find yourself in a place where Peter B. Parker is at. And to be able to relate to Peter B. Parker through Miles Morales um, is really amazing. Because I even know that like when I was working at the university, really the only thing great about working at the university was to be able to see all of these younger people who still had the energy of young people and needed <laughs> a little guidance along the way and maybe needed some reality checks here and there but at the same time could bring some of that energy that you know some of us just we get you get the world beats you down over and over again the world beats you down and um so i love that message i love that we have the high schooler who is like how what am i supposed to be and how am i supposed to make my way in this we have the mid-20s person who thinks they're invincible but ultimately has to deal with their own life ending and then we have the guy that's in his 30s that's going man life isn't doesn't always look like how I thought it was going to look like that's brilliant storytelling because that follows a lot of people's experiences uh, in a really real way. So you guys, you guys yeah. all touched on that in different ways, but any yeah, other thoughts about that? Go ahead. That I'm scene... so depressed right now. <laughs> 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 and yet it's that such scene, a hopeful story. So that scene where uh, Spider-Man dies too, it like really grounds this otherwise fantastical movie to in reality yes like it it really it it's a very real moment and amongst this very comic booky very bright very comedic fast moving fast cut you know story yeah and like i i think that's uh like the heart of it really absolutely yeah i mean i think there's a message in there about finding hope in something other than being able to get back up you know, like if if Peter B. Parker doesn't have uh, a community rallying around him to help him see who he, what his identity should be, and if Miles Morales doesn't have a community around him trying to help guide him, not even like Peter A. Parker would have guided him, but like really more like Peter B. Parker would have guided him, along with the other, you know, uh, Spider Gwen and all them. These characters don't succeed. And so there's a message there that's like, yeah, you may not be able to get up someday, but on the way there, we win if we help each other out. We yeah. all come from different backgrounds. We all come from different um, experiences. Let's have a hope in something bigger than ourselves and help our help each other out in the smaller things. And I just think that that's wonderful. So, Yeah. And the funny part is the thing that kills Spider-Man is not putting in a USB the right way. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> yeah, it's he true. goes he goes. Oh, I always do this wrong, and then he gets then that, he gets grabbed by uh, it's true. by Norman Osborn. That that ancient technology. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> USB. Who uses that anyway? I know. Uh, yeah, you could <laughs> getting those things to fit inside. You always get it wrong. Like the first one you try, you're like, oh, it's upside down. Anyways. So let's go. Let's go jump back to Miles. Um, after Miles is assigned a report by his teacher on what he wants out of life and what he what he's trying to get out of life, he writes down the words "great expectations" on a notepad. And actually, the novel is sitting off to the side as well. Mm-hmm. And then uh, ditches that re- that, that whole re- report. He basically, you know, just goes to do his own thing with his uncle, and he goes to to spray painting his artwork. And then his artwork says on the wall, instead of great expectations, it says no expectations. 
So Scylla, or actually, no, Alan, I'll start with you on this one first. Yeah. What does that reveal to you about Miles's character journey? What does Miles need to overcome, and how does that relate to us in the real world? Right. You know, it's it's this message that we give to our youth that you're going to become great things and you're going to do great things. And this is a pressure that, that I feel like Miles is not accepted yet. I mean, if you think about it, his his parents, his father is a police officer. His mother is a is a doctor or nurse. Um, they are first responders. They are, you know, considering what's going on now, they are heroes. And um, and then who does he gravitate to? He gravitates to the uncle who is who is a, uh, you know, a, a criminal, basically. And I, I think a lot of what this movie deals with and Miles' journey has to deal with is this idea that, you know, he doesn't want to... He wants to be himself. He wants to do his music, his art. Um, that's where he finds himself excelling mm. while everyone is push, putting on him this pressure of doing great things uh, in life. And rather than having uh, having his parents tell him what great things he's going to do, he ultimately needs to find out in himself what the great things that will come out of him eventually. Mm. Mm, that's good. Yeah, I like that a lot. Scylla, what about you? What do you think? Uh, again, echo a lot of those same sentiments. And mm-hmm. just to me, um, before he even gets bit by a spider, he is struggling with various identity issues and figuring out who is he, you know, what what does he want to be in the world? What does he want to do? You know, because he, it sounds like he was sent to, you know, a school that has a lot of other intelligent kids, whereas old school could have been a, big fish in a small pond situation you see him missing that and trying to figure out well i'm this bright kid but Mm. do i really want that label on me Mm -hmm. same with you know his parents expecting a lot out of him especially his dad but still wanting to hang out with his uncle and relate feels like he could relate to him so much more even though in reality he he learns to respect and realizes how much his dad does and how much his dad loves him Mm. um he's just trying to figure all these things out as as a lot of you know teenagers even young adults even when you get older you're trying to figure out who you are because we have so many different roles in our life Mm. we could say we're we're the same person everywhere but you know we're not we Mm. play different roles depending where we're at we play different roles depending who we we're talking to and how do we represent that yet still feel like yourself Mm. and i think he figures that out as the story progresses Mm. that's Mm -hmm. good yeah good stuff from both you guys what do you think nick got anything to add to that yeah um yeah miles is very unsure of himself and like doesn't really perform well under pressure Mm. like that's a big thing is like throughout the movie he, he was feeling pressured and there's like that montage when he starts at that new school where it's just quick cutting through like Mm -hmm. him running through classes and like getting books and it it'll do a a huge close-up of the teacher's mouth and they're saying like stress and then like Mm -hmm. it keeps going fast 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 it goes to another teacher's mouth and they're like pressure (laughs) you know (laughs) and um he feels yeah all this all this pressure like you guys were saying uh all this pressure to be great uh, like even his dad says like he sees the spark in him that mm-hmm. you know he's gonna do something great in it, whatever he chooses to do um so like he's he he needs to become what he needs is to become 
comfortable in his own skin and become the, who he can be, mm. uh, not who or what he thinks he should be or what other people think he should be. Mm. Like he, he will for a while, you know, he believes he should be uh, Peter, Peter A, mm. but he needs to be Miles, you know? Um, so that's something to like remember for ourselves. We need to be us. Like mm-hmm. you need to be you. I need to be me, and not try to be the next, whoever, mm. you know. Yeah, yeah. And I have a, um, I have some of the same notes that you guys had. You guys said it better than I did. Um, the only thing I, I was going to add here is that this is a pretty classic hero's journey story. Mm-hmm. Um, we do. I think we do get Miles, um, maybe even a little bit more an uncomfortable Miles at the beginning of this film than you might see the normal hero's journey where the hero is pretty comfortable starting out. But Miles is already in a state of discomfort because of the new school. Um, yeah, sometimes the hero is kind of cocky, actually. Yeah. Like a Luke Skywalker type where it's yeah. like, I'm going to take on the world. And- <laughs> yeah. But I need some <laughs> power converters first. Um, (laughs) but yeah, there's this, uh, there's this sense, I think that, that we can relate to, and it's because of what Joseph Campbell is dealing with, with the hero's journey. I just did a, did a podcast, uh, with Victoria and Joel over on the story geeks, YouTube channel about the hero's journey. And, you know, this is classic hero's journey. He has a mentor, (laughs) the mentor is helping him out Uh, a little different in this journey that he actually helps the mentor back out. But one of the things that happens Mm -hmm. in the, in the hero's journey that's very true to this movie as well is that it's indicative of the human spirit that we look up to people who are ready to take on new things and to take on new challenges and to experience and to really like take on dangerous things even however every single one of us has a precondition to want comfort and to not want to change and so here's miles in the midst of being a teen and having to do all of this change as is inherent in a lot of teenage lives and yet he doesn't even want to go there and one of the things i thought was really cool about peter b parker as a mentor is that peter b parker is actually in the same exact place he doesn't want to change either he kind of wants to just stay with what he's become and it's through his own advice to miles where he gets inspiration and so it's important to, to mm-hmm. remind ourselves of these stories, of hero's journey type stories, because through these kinds of stories, we can remember that it's better to challenge ourselves. And maybe your challenge isn't <laughs> facing off against Kingpin to try and you know, prevent <laughs> dimensions from colliding. But, you know, all the little things in life that are like, yeah, I, I got to, you know, today staying home in a pandemic is a challenge. But you gotta stay home. I mean, like that's that's the challenge today. It's, we're uncomfortable with it, but we we have to fight against that urge to to not stay home, and um, and fight against the urge to to become too sequestered and too isolated that we don't do anything else either. So, anyways, um, yeah, I think this is uh, you know again, hero's journey, fantastic stuff. Really, really enjoy it. Um, I will say that Into the Spider Verse is surprisingly moving and emotional. It definitely leans towards being a Pixar film in many ways. So what moment in the film stands out to you as being the most emotionally impactful moment? Scylla, I'll start with you. What do you think? I think when he's facing his uncle and his uncle finds out that he's the kid that he's hunting to kill. um, And then, you know, Miles finds out that he's the prowler. And Mm. just having, 
you know, the Prowler's struggling and like, do I kill, do I kill, you know, the, my nephew that I love and Zuppy Cat and him just saying, I wanted you to look up to me. I let you down. You're the best of us, Miles. You're on your way. Just keep going. That's just a gut punch. Like, mm. I, that was probably by the second time I cried when I saw that movie in the theater, and mm. even when I rewatched it, <laughs> um, where it's just like you, you see him lose somebody so close to him, even though he, you know he's so flawed, and him just trying to figure out and find out how to deal with these emotions to find out who he is. I mean, that moment also spurred him to, you know, realize what he had with his dad and realize, you know, how much his dad cares about him and how much he wants to reconnect with him again and make him proud and maybe realizes, well, I kind of see why my dad didn't really want me to hang out with my uncle. I don't think he knew to the extent of what his uncle was doing. Mm. I mean, you know, but I can see why now. And to me, that was just uh, a gut punch. That's all the way I could describe it. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a that's a very intense moment. And as an uncle, not a parent, but an uncle, it's like, oh, man, like, you know, you really want to see your nephews and nieces be, you know, better than you, you know, like, and I hope they don't have to deal with the same things that I have to deal with in my mm -hmm. life. And that's just, yeah, that's really, really yeah. Good. And I'm glad they took it this route because I guess in the comics, it's very different. Like there's still enemies. He, he almost tried to take a he wanted to take advantage of miles and use it to up his standing and, starting like a new sinister six in that universe so it's just like i'm glad they stuck with this in the movies even though it it hurts so much yeah. yeah yeah definitely nick what'd you think yeah mine is the very next scene um after that uh when miles dad finds uh his brother dead in the alley mm -hmm. and like he spent so much time like est estranged from him mm. and like the emotional weight of that when he finds him dead is so heavy like sometimes we have those people in our lives that we wonder like oh, should i reach out to them should i talk to them and like nah and then we don't get another chance mm -hmm. and like it, it's just yeah that's just so heavy like you see it, it it's it's an animation like they capture it very well like like the he like deflates when he sees them and you can just tell like he's going like ah, like I, I wish I, you know, would have talked to him more, reached out to him sooner, right? Like, yeah. and to learn post po uh, post mortem, you know, he's like a super villain. That's gotta, mm -hmm. that's right? Gotta yeah. What, what? How could I have helped with this instead of you know having this happen? Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be like so painful. And I think you mentioning that just it brings up a relevant point for today maybe to not the same extent, but with everything going on in the world, I'm reaching out to people I haven't talked to in a long time because, or even people I talk to and I care about a lot because you never know when you'll see them again or you'll never know, you know, letting them know how much you appreciate them or how mm -hmm. much you care about them. So I think that scene also hits you, well, it hits me in a new way now just with everything going on right now. Yeah, I, I, just, I had a moment last year, lost somebody... Uh, that I worked with and um, uh, the last thing I, I, I don't want to bring things down <laughs> like the last thing that that, uh, that I said to her was like oh I feel like I haven't talked to you in a while mm. and 
and she passed away um shortly after that and it's just like i i feel that in that scene where mm-hmm. it's like ah man like you know if only you yeah. know and it just makes you kind of appreciate the appreciate the now mm-hmm. it's interesting too because there's that scene i believe it's after that scene where the dad goes to talk to miles but miles yeah is, that's my that's, that's my yours scene. okay yeah. then, 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 <laughs> then tell awesome. us about that one tell yeah. us about that one so uh so i am the father of a teen girl and, uh, who's or a girl who's who's literally walking through the door of, of teenhood right now mm. and um and that scene just uh just really nailed me um Part of it is, you know, unlike most stories, uh, especially superhero stories, Miles has a pretty well-adjusted set of parents. Yeah. Um, yes, you know, they, they, Clearly they love him. Uh, clearly he loves them. But he is struggling with this idea of independence, with developing his own identity. And, um, and just the pressure that, not, not that his parents are putting a lot of pressure on him to be great, but he is taking that internalizing it and putting a great deal of pressure upon himself which is what caused um this this kind of estrangement this temporary estrangement that's going on and it, and it doesn't help that miles is on the other side of the door bound and gagged mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah know? yeah and and that that whole moment re- realizing man no matter how good of a parent i am which i am i'm great um, <laughs> but just to know that you know there are things that are out of your control and uh and there are you know, uh, I'm going to have this teen living in my house who's uh, who, you know, I hope at this point in my life, I've given her enough tools to to start figuring things out about life on her own without me having to tell her what to do and and not being overly encouraging and not mm. being and not overly doing it. And and just, you know, it's like, oh, I could be there in a few years. Mm. <laughs> that could be me talking through her to her through a door. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's I was I was going to say that one of the things that stands out to me with that scene um not having kids obviously, but the 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 fact of not being able to connect with people after someone has passed away. I I, just, I remember this very vividly and and it's really hard for us in the United States especially to deal with grief we sort of learn from day one that we're supposed to avoid grief i don't know about you guys but this is what i learned mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so what we do is we tend to when we know somebody experiencing grief we tend to avoid them or we tend to avoid conversations with them and i experienced that on the receiving end not knowing that i had done that time after time growing up um i was on the receiving end of that when uh, my mom passed away this is, this is a while back this is in 2012 but still i i, I was very told i told myself afterwards like Okay, you're not gonna do that. You're gonna you're gonna tell people that have experienced horrific things that you're thinking about them, and if they want to talk about that or if they want to talk about something else, you're around. And I will tell you that despite the fact that I know that I have that I feel that way, it's still really difficult to do because how you uh, address that topic and how you go there is so hard. And so I think that that scene fills in it, it, it like there's if it um it illustrates the gap it illustrates the gap of being able to then articulate and grieve with someone else and it's this person that you feel like you're totally disconnected from and that there's a wedge between them and so really really powerful stuff yeah uh, there's a great deal love- of pressure there i mean like what what do you say to a grieving person that will make everything all better again exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. 
I love at the the end too in like sort of the the epilogue uh it shows Miles and his dad doing that mural um of of his uncle oh yeah on the wall it says rest in power, power yeah. <laughs> yeah that's awesome yeah so my scene is actually um not related to miles as much um all of what you've said the reason why i asked this question is because <laughs> there's so many good scenes to yeah. talk about that are filled with emotion um but my scene is actually the scene where peter b parker sees aunt may again mm. um uh, yeah. and i think that the reason why that hits me so hard is that he needs to be loved despite his fall from perceived perfection and what i love about it is that aunt may does not deny the truth of his fallout <laughs> like she you know the first thing she says is like well you're older and you got fatter you know what i mean like and, <laughs> and the reason it's not really like the, the reason a lot of this is not like let's say fat shaming is because the, she doesn't say that in a way that's trying to put him down she's just acknowledging a reality that she sees and with when she acknowledges that it, she communicates that he's still valuable in a way that Peter B. Parker is able to receive really well. Like he, all he needs is somebody to tell him, I still love you despite where you're at. And that's what she portrays to him. And I just think that that scene is fantastic because of that, because it's a key step on his recovery. When we're in a place of isolation, we need people to not tell us lies about how we actually should be perceived but instead say, you know what? You're here, but it doesn't matter to me because I still love you. And that's, I just think, amazing. And that scene portrayed that to me really, really well. Well, yeah, and the other characters know that he needs it too because he tries to walk away mm. yes. before, before they go in and um, Gwen pulls him back Yeah, and makes him stand there. Yo, you should read um, the Spider-Man um, series, the, the, the first one at least, because that happens but in a reverse moment when... When our Peter, with six one six Peter meets the ultimate Aunt May, who just lost, you know Peter, mm -hmm. and um, and you know the power of comic books, but that's just a, as equally an emotional scene <laughs> wow. on those pages than than what you've just experienced is there in the film as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's more that we haven't even talked about. I mean, the the death of the uncle is a big deal, but the uncle taking Miles to do the his artwork. There's, there's an emotion to that that's like, oh, how cool is it that you can have some special moments with somebody who is not trying, who's not your parent, right? Who's not trying yeah. to guide you down a path in a, in a kind of more militaristic way, but somebody yeah. who's just trying to be a mentor to you. I mean, that's awesome. And then there's also the moment at the end where Peter B. Parker sees Mary Jane. Um, <laughs> oh yeah you know and i love that scene it's so good because you know he's like i'm just so sorry we couldn't get you bread you know yeah <laughs> I should, we, should fill, we should fill this whole room with, with bread, bread. <laughs> it's so good by the way uh shout out to jake johnson because he is so good in that role it's so yeah. amazing anyways lots of great stuff we could talk about there we do have a couple more questions that we're going to jump into here Sorry for the brief interruption, but I wanted to give you a gift. This is Jay Shear, author of the Amazon top-selling time travel novel, Time Slingers, and co-host of the Story Geeks podcast. We just released the Kindle edition of Death of a Bounty Hunter, our new supernatural steampunk western novel, and I'd love for you to have it. 
With so many of us staying at home, we wanted to give you something. So we released the book early and discounted it to just 99 cents. You can learn more at deathofabountyhunter.com, but here's Mockingbird Preacher Witch, a character from the novel, to tell you what it's about. This isn't a story about the man-ogre with a Gatling gun for an arm, or the Taiwan sorceress covered in tattoos, or even the long-winded banker. And while the speedster idiot and the large, very funny Pinkerton detective lady do play a role, it's not about them either. You might think this tale is about the Sheriff of Jericho, a man who will do just about anything to save a loved one, including work for a secret occultish society. And then there's a woman who bears the brunt of his sins and must defend herself when she's most vulnerable. All those characters appear in the story. I do too. But it's about more than that. The one I was assigned to, the Korean bounty hunter, he's at the dead center of it all. Flint, a bounty hunter who comes face to face with something we all do. Guilt and shame. And the desire to run from them. Not because we're cowards, but because sometimes we just can't stand ourselves. It's a story about that. The Gatling guns, the occult, the paranormal, and even the demon spawn. All those are just long for the ride. Mockingbird Preacher Witch. Like I said, I'm in the story. Just read it. Mockingbird Preacher Witch is voiced by Anastasia Washington in the full cast audiobook coming out later this summer. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this gift from us to you while you stay at home. To get the Kindle edition for just 99 cents, visit deathofabountyhunter.com. That's deathofabountyhunter.com. Nick, I'll start with you on this one. Um, There are multiple messages being delivered in this film. It's a pretty layered film, as we've been talking about. Anyone can be Spider-Man is thrown out there. Heroes sacrifice their own comfort and even their own lives, while the villain, who we haven't talked about that much, but Kingpin, is you know, doing something that he really wants and that we would say, like, he wants to be connected, reconnected to his family. But ultimately, like, he's seeking his own comfort at the expense of everyone else around him. Um, there's another message about we can't get back up uh, over and over and over again without the support of our community around us, which we talked about earlier. Courage takes a leap of faith and we can't stay stagnant or regress. We need to keep pushing forward. And I know that there are others that I haven't capitalized on there. So my question to you all, and I'll start with you, Nick, what message resonates with you the most and why? Yeah, I think for me it is that um, just because I grew up on on comics and Spider-Man was like a big hero for me, um, it's that anyone can wear the mask. Mm. And it, it's just like this really empowering message that, you know, reminds me like I can do the right thing. Um, you know, when there's other people uh, in need, I can I can be the one that helps them. Mm. Um, also that uh, you, like you're talking about with Kingpin like he wants to be you know with his family again but at the expense of all those around him like Miles loses a family member he loses I mean he loses two mentors in this movie mm. uh-huh. like the, the first Spider-Man and um, and his uncle Um but Miles is the first to acknowledge, like, oh, my, my family, I'll always have my family. My family will always be with me. And that's something that Kingpin can't accept. Mm-hmm. He's like, my, my, I need my family here. I need to bring them back. Mm. Like, it, the memory of them 
and the love that we had for each other is not enough. Like I need them back here. Mm. I just feel like the, those two things are very powerful and stood out to me the most. Mm. Yeah. It's good stuff. What about you, Alan? What, what messages stand out to you? Yeah. To me, uh, I think it's this idea of the heroic sacrifice people, people make you know, movies have um, an amazing way of, especially biographies of, of taking a person who's done great things and tell us about those great things. Um, over, over at the beginning of this pandemic, uh, I believe it was uh, Goldwyn Films, Samuel Goldwyn Films, who put out uh, Resistance, um, which is uh, the story of Marcel Marceau, the mime. Mm. And the, the thing I never knew about Marcel Marceau was that he was a member of the French resistance against the Nazis. Huh. And uh, this this movie goes into not only how he used mime to help um, entertain hundreds of Jewish children who who were uh, being kicked out of their homes and, and, you know, could have been easily put on trains to their death. But mm. but how he, you know, he he sacrificed his own well-being, his own safety, his own life to ultimately get hundreds if not thousands of children out of france nazi-occupied france into, into austria or i'm sorry um, switzerland and uh and this is a mime that, that's how yeah. i know him. He's, he's a mime i thought you were gonna say how he used mime to fight nazis <laughs> yeah. and i was gonna be yeah. like how he have i not well, seen he, this movie he put himself in a box and um and that and that's that's the thing is you know we watch movies about great people without thinking to ourselves well am i a great person could i be a great person you know mm. i'm sitting here doing my job watching movies writing reviews and and thinking you know well what could i be doing during this time to you know to to sac to to uh you know sacrifice a little bit of my comfort and my safety and uh and i feel like you know uh not to get too religious here but as christians um, as a Christian, I, you know, there, there is that calling that we all have to be something beyond what, than what we are. And that's mm. this idea of, you know, God giving us strength to, um, to do something amazing. Mm. And, um, and that's kind of what, what I'm getting out of, of a lot of this. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That movie sounds dope. I know we're talking about Spider-Man, but what's that mime movie? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Resistance. It Resistance. just came out. It, it came out on VOD. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, and Jesse Eisenberg—he's um, no Marcel Marceau, but he does a pretty good job. <laughs> he's—he's—he's uh, he's, he's no Zuckerberg either, but he might be—he might do a better job. <laughs> um, so, Stella, you're the one that's left, yes. right? Yes. Well, you too, but yeah. Um, I'd I'd say two different ones. Courage takes a leap of faith, and just when miles asked Peter, like, when do I know I'm ready? And it's like, well, it's, it's just a leap of faith. You don't know when you're ready. And I think again, relating to that, anyone could be Spider-Man. It's, we all don't know when we're going to be ready to do something. I'm somebody that gets very nervous very often and having to push myself and going like, well, no, it takes a leap of faith. I need to continue doing this. I need it to get where I'm going. I need to just push myself regardless of, you know, if it's scary or if it's, something brand new so just that right there uh, i can't i can't describe how it's making me feel right now mm. um and then also it's something i've realized more and more as as the years have gone on even though i'm relatively young um 
we need the support of community. We can't get back up over and over again without the support of community. And I think that's just really important, um, especially now, even though we can't be physically close, we can still connect to people in various different ways. And I think us realizing that we need others to connect to, um, to even get in touch with something greater, you know, wherever your spiritual background may be, I think that's extremely important. And I think mm -hmm. that's how we were designed to be as a people yeah that's that's actually the one that i capitalize on or, or that meant the most to me is that you know there's a lot of there's a lot of sentiment out there that it's sort of like you the 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 pursuit of life and this is probably mostly a thing in the u.s but it probably affects other people as well but you know you should be it's a meritocracy you should be the best thing. You should be you should be Peter A. Parker. And so when Miles encounters that, it's kind of like, oh, man, how am I going to be Peter A. Parker? I mean, this guy has basically everything. And yet, Peter A. Parker is the first character to die. Like, he's the first character to go, you know what? There's more to life than that. And life is meaningful. And we should try to get back up and keep moving. But when we can't, like you just said, Scylla, we need community around us mm -hmm. to help us get mm -hmm. through that. And I think that there's, it be, it's become more powerful to me because I grew up in a very, um, what you would call uh, Germanic people's background, which is to say that it's very much the focus is put on the individual and very much the focus is put on responsibility. Um, and so, so the the there's there are some good aspects to that, but the negative aspects to that is it's not as much about community. It's and it's not about being intimate with other people so much as it is about you making value out of what you do. Mm -hmm. And I just know that in my wife in her twenties um, got a chronic health condition and couldn't be the thing that she was in her earlier twenties. She she literally could not do that anymore. Um, well, I guess, she, I guess I should say it's more in her, her, her early 30s that she got the chronic health condition. Meanwhile, I had been doing really well. I had a good, really good career and stuff like that. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go do the next thing. And that thing crashed and burned. And ever since then, it's been this kind of like this struggle. And what I've realized through that is that just like I would have to be sometimes um, for my wife, the person to help her keep going. I needed a bunch of people around me so that I could keep going. <laughs> it was like, yeah. and so the, when the person uh, around, that's next to you can't, can't quite make it that day because it's too hard, then you're there for them. And then when you can't quite make it the next day, somebody else is there to kind of help you out along as well. And I think that that's just a really cool message that we get from spider Gwen. We get it from Peter B. Parker. We get it from the entire spider verse basically. Uh, and, and they're, they're a cast of totally diverse, completely, I mean, they're not even the coolest people around. They're a bunch of misfits and yet they're able to do this for each other. And the fact that that becomes a message in here is just outstanding to me. So, um, and like, like I said, like there's so much in this movie that we all t take these really deep, meaningful things from it. And this is a cartoon, you know, like it's uh -huh. awesome. Um, so I want to move into this last question. This is somewhat inspired by um, Sandra sent me a, a note um, talking about this. And so we're going to jump into this last question. It's partially in inspired by co-host of the Story Geeks podcast, Sandra Demas. Um, and that is that in this film, we've got an Asian Penny Parker, an Afro-Latino Spider-Man, 
a female Spider-Woman, a female Doc Ock, and then a bunch of other characters as well that are all different in their own in their own unique ways. Peter Porker. <laughs> Peter Porker as well, absolutely. Straight absolutely. white pig. <laughs> <laughs> My lord. Yeah. John, you can't get any whiter than John Mulaney. So I think... <laughs> self-admitted, I think he's he makes fun of that in his own comedy specials. But... Um, by the way, the the one of the best lines in the movie is, uh, "But can you float in the air when you smell pie?" <laughs> I love that line. Um, but there's often controversy relative to legacy characters and changes that are made to their ethnicity, their race, or any other demographic characteristics. Um, age, a lot of times too, right? Age is the thing that comes up from, from time to time. Mm-hmm. So, what's your take on that issue, um, Alan? I'll start with you. We'll go through the list, but what's your take on this issue of legacy? Does it work here? Why or why not? And when does it not work? Yeah, uh, I th- okay. So I'm a person of color, um, <laughs> and you know this has been a big thing for me growing up. Um, you know, because you know I, I never really saw a lot of characters comics uh, that looked like me, mm. and to some degree it, it mattered and it didn't matter. You know, they were still great characters, and I, you know, I wasn't super hyper focused on on their ethnicity. In terms of whether it works, I think it works here because you have a, a series of characters, with the exception of Doc Ock, who are essentially different than the original Spider-Man, the legacy Spider-Man. Mm. Uh, Penny Parker is just an Asian girl who is good at computers. Uh, no stereotype there, <laughs> um, and. Um, you know, and her and the radioactive spider is in the robot. You know, there's enough different about it to, to do it. Where where I feel it doesn't work is when you take a legacy character and all of a sudden change its ethnicity. Mm. Um, you know, uh, for example, um, Iceman is now gay. Mm. Um, that just, you know, it comes out of the blue. It, it, you know, he was there was never in his, you know, 30 years, 50 years of existence was he ever a gay character? They just made him gay all of a sudden. Um, the other thing is, uh, I would much rather, uh, and I kind of agree with George Takei on this idea of, you know, when they made Sulu gay, mm. um, you know, he was he was very, he was not pleased by it. And, and rightfully so in the sense of, you know, why don't they just make a gay character? Mm, you know, because mm, mm. there's a, you know, rather than retconning some existing character, why not, build a, a, a rich background of uh, of that person's culture right. and you know and, and build it up that way then just take something off the shelf and and change it um, you know James Bond Kenya you know I, I'd feel the same way about James Bond if they did that changed his ethnicity changed his gender mm. and so on just there's a lot of great stories to tell out there just tell some new stories mm. yeah. yeah that's like the problem with um, a lot of people have with like ghostbusters like the all-female ghostbusters it's like well why didn't you just make a ghostbusters type movie with female characters why does it why do you just have to tack them onto ghostbusters you know mm-hmm. it's like that's not it, but it's always about the name it's like people are going to go for the name mm. yeah so what's, yeah, what's, i so- mean you have an ip there that can make a lot of money i mean it's it's greed basically at this point you yeah. know you know, why not just take something we already have and slap a new coat of paint on it and yeah. people will just accept it. But like people love those things because they started off 
you know, with humble beginnings and they became something. So like, yeah, you, you can do that. Yeah. Well, in the make case it, of make new characters. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the case of Ghostbusters, I mean, you have Bill Murray, uh, Ernie Hudson, uh, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis. They created four distinct characters and those characters meshed together and made a team and they were called Ghostbusters as opposed to just throwing four characters together and, you know, yeah, and just doing it because because you you want to do it. It's you know. Mm. So Nick, Nick, you've been talking about this a little bit. What is your take on it? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, what I want to know is why they make Green Goblin so big. <laughs> oh, <Lord>. Yeah. <laughs> um, now you're sizest. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a massive dragon. <laughs> Not a man at all. Um, and now you're specious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But for me, like changes to a character have to bring something to it that isn't like pandering or patting itself on the back for, you know, being for, diverse for points. Yeah. Um, and this movie, it, it isn't really about that. Like they don't I they don't really touch on race or gender at all. There's just like it's a very it's centered around a universal experience mm. you know it shows how people how different people from different places um like are, are are we capable of doing the right thing and like how these people choose to become the hero that they need to be for themselves you know it's it's not like oh there's the, the villain is racist and you know or we have to fight against his racism or anything like that we already have those movies and mm like they they serve their purpose um but like this is just really like showing that you can have representation and not comment not have it be really like a social commentary really it's like this is this is all stuff that people like we as people experience all together like we all we all want to do the right thing we all want to be the best that we can um, and, and how do we do that? Mm. So, you know, I, I, that's the kind of stuff that I love is like when, and you can show like these new characters that are from more diverse backgrounds than maybe the, the original legacy character. Um, like you, you bring in their, their unique backstory, but then you, you don't make it about like how they're physically different mm. or, you know, uh, like how their gender is different. It's just like, this is them. This is where they come from. And this is how they fit into the legacy of this, uh, the persona mm. of a Spider-Man or, a, you know, a Batman or uh, yeah, any hero. Yeah. Yeah. Silla, what's your take? I, in general, I have no problem with changing up characters it it has to be justified and it has to have a valid reason because you don't want something to be cheap um but usually i'm down for anything if they change it up it doesn't bother me i can still enjoy the previous character or the previous incarnation of something uh, but it has i think it's a valid point that alan mentioned like we need to develop characters that can stand on their own and be brand new characters that have rich history as opposed to well let's just make a different ethnicity of the same character and you don't have that with miles miles has his own enriched story all these characters have their own story that goes beyond you know you can connect in terms of ethnicity 
and, and race, but you can also connect on just that level of trying to find who you are. I think all of us can relate to that. Trying mm-hmm. to figure out, you know, what what good can we do in this world yet still be myself to an extent. You know, we can all relate to that. Mm. Um, so I think it's done extremely well in this film. Um, also, most of the time, because Marvel's been doing this a lot where they have a lot of legacy characters. And for one, I enjoy most of them. Um, when I read the Facebook comment section of Marvel, most people don't. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so it's just, it's a fine balance. It's a fine line. Um, I see no issue with it most of the time, but it has to be, it has to be a valid reason as to why. Is there, is there anybody still carrying a, a torch like 10 plus years later? It's like, we need comics accurate Nick Fury. <laughs> uh, honestly, I've seen, people... I've, I've seen a couple of comments like that. And it's like, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, part of me with Nick Fury is I don't think he's that beloved a character to where his ethnicity made it difference yeah <laughs> you know it's like when he appeared uh black in the ultimate universe um and then i think it's his son or something now or i, I don't know how it how something it, like that out. something random yeah. yeah yeah but it was like okay uh i'll, I'll give you a nick fury <laughs> you <know? laughs> well so so i'll i have a, a similar take um as to some of what you guys have mentioned but from a storytelling standpoint i always think about these things from a writer's perspective because i go why does that why is that not resonating with this audience like it doesn't make sense to me that it's not resonating the 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 information on the table doesn't seem right to me and so my take now on legacy characters and the acceptance or rejection of them is related to a lot of what you guys have talked about but from a storytelling standpoint stories essentially engage the brain in such a way that the brain is able to then articulate a better understanding or interpretation of the world. That means that all of the buildup to a good story has to have, has to be backed up by an answer to the question why, because if we don't have the question why, like, so for example, um, I made this illustration the other day. If you're standing on a, on a street corner, right? And if you, you're surrounded by information, you're seeing cars zoom past, you might see a police officer go past, you might see a tree with a bird in it. Like you, you see the building, people shopping. You don't see that now because we're in a pandemic, but you know, not a normal, <laughs> a normal weekend, you might see that. Um, and, uh, and I think one of the things that happens is, let's say we see a, a police car that's going by, but it's going fast and it has its sirens on. The immediate question that our brains want to ask is why? Why is that happening? Should I feel unsafe? Should I change my behavior? Should I do something different? That's what story, the p- storytelling has the power to do. We want, it's not a story until we start to answer why. And we build narratives all the time around meaningless information. Go, go on Facebook right now and try to figure out how many people are trying to figure out whether or not COVID-19 is a hoax based oh, on the information gosh. that they have, right? There's not enough information to give you any of those things to tell you uh, how you should act today because nobody knows. There's a lack of information surrounding this thing. But I read it on the internet, Jay. <laughs> Must yeah. be true. Yeah, from somebody who <laughs> built a story around it, right? Like, And so, so stories do this thing, good stories. Bad stories don't fill in the whys. Good stories fill in the whys. I believe if you answer the question to, as to why is this Spider-Man different? Why is his or her motivation different? Why does this story matter to this character? If you just change the character, but don't change any of the whys, it feels totally wrong. 
you wouldn't want i wouldn't want them to say oh by the way uh miles it's not there's no new miles morales character actually it's just peter parker and peter parker is going to experience all the exact same things um that former peter parker did except now he's asian right and you would say i think you would say okay but isn't that a different character shouldn't he have different influences shouldn't he have different situations come up i don't I, I, my brain is trying to wrap itself around this character. If you give me some whys as to why you did this and to why this character is this way, I will go along with it. And guess what? Into the Spider-Verse covers all of those things and covers them really well. So you can take Miles Morales and, as you said, Nick, all of the same themes as you would find with Peter Parker, all of which are super relatable. Mm-hmm. However, he comes from uh, a, a family that's a different ethnicity. His uncle is struggling with things that Uncle Ben wasn't struggling with, right? He he gets to go with his uncle to do spray painting. If Peter Parker did that, you'd be like, what in the <laughs> world is happening? Like, this doesn't make sense. Now, you could build in whys as to why that was the case. But um, so, so, so it doesn't mean that you need to be stereotypical with any of your ethnicities because that's horrible. But what I'm saying is give them whys for what's going on around them and you can win any sort of legacy character change. But if you do not supply those whys from a storytelling standpoint, the human brain will almost instantly reject it because it'll go, you've not given me any reason to believe this. And then if we're not given a reason to believe it, we just back out. And um, and so obviously some of us are a little bit more accepting, like Scylla, you're kind of just like, well, I'll go along with it. I'll just see how, what, how this goes. But, but anytime we see a story that starts to mess with those things but doesn't give us background into why this is different not not just why it's different because that that could be very stereotypical but why it matters that it's different and why i should care that it's different is the key and we know why it's different for miles that you guys all talked about emotional scenes regarding miles they all related to miles in the way that it mattered to miles it wasn't another uncle ben situation even though it was a dead uncle (laughs) Um, And it matters. All of those things mattered to his character because it mattered to the story and our brains understanding how we would deal with a similar thing in a similar circumstance. And so to me, that's that's kind of my writer's take on legacy characters is just fill in the whys for us and we will go along with it. Um, I tend to be a little bit more like Scylla. I'm like, I'll I'll test it. I'll see where it goes. But I will tell you, if the story doesn't give me the whys or give me reasons why this matters, then I'm kind of left going like, I think you just, I think you just turned this into propaganda because you just turned it into another character just so that you could promote something. Check a box. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly right, and um, and that will that will start to irritate me. So that's yeah. the last question I have. Any other thoughts on that specifically? Kingpin was pretty big too. <laughs> <laughs> he was. He and he had a tiny little head too. <laughs> Now, I believe he was voiced by Lib Shriver, right? Yeah, and and that guy has an amazing voice and does an amazing job. So I thought that was – I mean, there's not a bad job. He was also Sabretooth. He was shiny. Yeah. By the way, we we never even mentioned Nicholas Cage. Oh my gosh! Spider Noir. Oh. His best yeah. his best role in the past few years by far. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, Sometimes I, w- I light a match and let it burn just to feel something. <laughs> something. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's bummed out when it burns out before it hits his fingers. <laughs> he's all depressed. Yeah. yeah that was that was uh, that's fantastic. Um, I mean, really, the performances across the board were stellar. 
Um, I really enjoyed the Doc Ock change. Um, yeah. And I even love yeah. the fact that they made fun of it by having uh, Peter B. Parker say, oh, I need to reassess my biases. <laughs> that was really <laughs> funny. Yeah. Uh, when he's trying yeah. to figure out who the head scientist is. Yes. And he's like, oh, I know who it is. It's it's her. Yeah. She, she's the head scientist. Oh. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this. After, so so this is Chris Lord, um, uh, Chris Miller, Phil Lord, Lego, Lego movie, Into the Spider-Verse. I'm still dying to figure out what their version of Han Solo of the I know. story was. Yeah. I know, I know. That exists I mean, somewhere, man. I know. It's just, you know that they, they reshot like 80% of it. So it's on yeah. film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's somewhere. And I want to find it, it so would, bad. That would be amazing to see. Amazing to see. That'd be really fun. I, I have no idea what they would have done with it, but it would have been fun to see that. Mm -hmm. uh well thank you guys for joining me today that's it for today's show special thanks again to alan ing from film threat for joining us uh and of course special thanks to our co-hosts nick and Scylla. always fun yeah. to be with yeah. you guys um thanks for having me yeah alan why don't you give a shout out to what you're up to and uh where people yeah. can find you yeah uh i work at film threat we are a uh, an outlet for independent films uh so if you want to you know you can go anywhere and find reviews of the big studio films but um, we publish about five, four to five reviews each day of independent films. And, and this right now is the time to see independent films. They're available on VOD, yeah, on streaming. And there's there are a lot of hidden treasures out there. And, and we're helping to dig those up for you. Support those indie Fil movies. Yeah, yeah filmthreat.com. That's awesome. You know, I, I was wondering how the marketplace would change and, and shift back to independent films. Because we've been in a blockbuster era for yeah. a while now. And I think this is how it changes. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I will tell you this. Um, when when this is all said and done, the, the studios are like a giant boulder. It, it takes a little slow pushing to get it moving. But for an independent filmmaker, you know right now that they have the script ready. Mm. They have the crew ready to go. And all they need is a green light to start shooting. And you're going to see a uh, uh, you're going to see a lot of films going into production low budget films kind of production right right when this is all over yeah it'd be cool it'd be really fun to see the differences between that um nick and Silla, really quick nick you first um shout out your twitter handle so people can follow you if they want to yeah twitter's ndukie n-d-u-k-i-e uh instagram is also ndukie but it's n underscore dukie because somebody took it and i don't know who, <laughs> it was probably, who would it was, want that name <laughs> it was probably sandra let's be honest she's where, <laughs> she has an evil plan to have this alternate universe nick, <laughs> dun, nick. Dun, dun. um so, my reputation my beautiful reputation <laughs> Scylla, what about you? How can people find you? Yes. On Twitter, it is Scylla Loves Pops because I love Funko Pops. It's terrible. And for <laughs> um, for Instagram, it is Scylla Loves Stuff. So all nerdy collector's needs is shown on there. Nice. And uh, everybody out there can follow me at uh, Jay Shear on Twitter and on Instagram. J-A-Y-S-H-E-R-E-R. Oh, yeah, and then my Twitter is MyPalOut. Perfect. Follow me there. Go, yeah. all fo go follow us all. Check everything out. That's it for today's show. Special thanks again to Alan Ng from Film Threat for joining the Story Geeks crew. Coming up next week on the Story Geeks podcast, Daryl and I discuss our most impactful geek stories. The stories that have been meaningful to our personal lives. Don't miss that or any of our upcoming shows. Subscribe today on your preferred podcast provider. And a quick shout out to the following shows for syndicating my What to Watch series. 
the OC Drive Time Show. If you live in Orange County, it's a cool morning show podcast for you to listen to. You can hear me on that podcast, giving you what to watch. I do the same segment for the Literary License Show. A lot of story geeks will really love that show because they're always talking about horror stories and the movies that are associated with them and comparing the two. And last but certainly not least, the CG Social Show. Shout out to all of them for syndicating my What to Watch series. If you want to interact with the Story Geeks community, join the Story Geeks Facebook group. You can find more information about the group at thestorygeeks.com or search for the Story Geeks on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories, and always seek the truth. Special thanks to all the members of the Story Geeks Club. Here are the awesome supporters who support us at $5 a month or more. Adam Vargas, Bob Sherfield, Justin Weaver, Mary Baldwin, Wade Johnson, Jim Baldwin, Kimberly Lujeau, Monty Thigpen, Nick Prokop, and Connie Moe. We appreciate all the members of the Story Geeks Club, even those we haven't mentioned by name. If you would like to support the show by joining the Story Geeks Club and signing up for one of our VIP tiers, please head over to thestorygeeks.com.